In second book of Samuel, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and Samuel, second Samuel, the chapter six. We're reading verses one to twelve. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from the fence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Dozah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of four wood, even on harps, on psalteries and on timbrels, and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to touch the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against us, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Peruz-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittites, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him, because they are of the ark of, the, of, of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Now turn with me please to Psalm 32, on over some pages, and I want you to open your Bible at Psalm 32. Sorry, 132, Psalm 132. <clears throat> Just open your Bible there please. One, three, two, Psalm. There are three arcs mentioned in the Word of God, and all three represent a covering or a sheltering or a hiding place from wrath.
the ark of bulrushes, which sheltered Moses as a baby in the river Nile, was sheltering from the wrath of the devil. Pharaoh, one of the greatest types of Satan in the word of God. He ordered the slaying of all the boy children, thousands of them. He brutally slew. Jacobed, the mother of Moses, weaved an ark of bulrushes, daubed it with slime and pitch and covered it with flagons and floated it out on the banks of the river Nile to, to save the child <clears throat> from Satan. Satan's hatred for children has never decreased or diminished down through the years. And our generation have seen much of that with predators and pedophiles. And the last report you're hearing about the scandal in mother and baby homes. Not to talk about the rapes and abortions of our children. The only safe place used to be for a child was in the mother's womb. And it's not a safe place even anymore. And if ever we needed to teach the children the word of God and pray for our children and have our family altars for our children and seek God for if ever we needed to do it, we need to do it on this day. But having said that, Moses was as safe in the ark as he is in heaven now. Moses was as safe in the ark as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord. He was safe in the ark. You know, a crocodile could have come in round and swallowed that thing. A gust of wind could have blew the top of it and he'd even barbecued at 120 degrees. But he was safe under the sovereign hand of an eternal God. He was safe. And he slept sound. Sounder maybe than you slept last night. And his mother and father slept sound. And how, why the slept sound was Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith, by faith. My friend, exercise faith over your children. Go to bed and sleep at night. What's it, what, what are you doing up when the Lord's up? What are you walking the floors for, for your children? When the Lord's up, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Man sleep the sound sleep of the Lord, for he giveth to his beloved sleep. The first ark sheltered from the wrath of Satan. The second ark in Scripture, the Noah's ark, sheltered the people of God from the wrath of God. 
when the wrath and the judgment of God is going soon to be poured out in big style upon this world, I tell you this morning, from this book of God, the children of God will be safe. The Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it, and they're safe. Safe, my friend, safe in the arms of Jesus. Safe, kept by the power of God. Isaiah says, a man is a hiding place from the wind and a covert in the time of storm. You know, if I was asked what's the verse I love most in the New Testament, of Paul's writing anyway, it's probably 2 Corinthians 1. That lovely verse. Who has delivered us from so great a death? That's the past. Who does deliver us every day? That's the present. And who will yet deliver us and save us from the wrath that's coming? But it's not the ark of Moses that shelters us from the wrath of the devil or the wrath of God or the ark of Noah from the wrath of God. But it's the ark of the covenant that shelters us from the wrath of the law. Now hear me this morning as I come down into what I'm going to teach you. Of the seven pieces of furniture that was found in the ancient tabernacle in the wilderness, the first that God told Moses to make was the Ark of the Covenant. You not read too far in Exodus and through the Scriptures until you'll come across, and the New Testament, until you come across the Ark of the Covenant. It was a wooden chest, four foot in length and two and a half broad, and two and a half high. It was made of archaea wood, and it was overlaid with gold, both inside and out. Nothing could be seen, only the gold. Now the ark in the word of God is a symbol of the presence and the power and the protection and the glory of God. It's the greatest type of the Lord Jesus Christ that can be found. The gold speaks of his divinity. The wood speaks of his humanity. The crown over it speaks of his, of his royalty. The mercy seat speaks of his mercy. And the rings that the staves went into speaks of his eternality. And the blue veil that draped over it speaks of his glory. Oh, what a lovely type of Christ. You need to hold that in your mind now. This beautiful, lovely, precious type of Christ, his, his divinity, his humanity, his royalty, his mercy, his eternality, and his glory, and many other things. Now inside the ark, as they carried it through the wilderness for 40 years, there were three things. There was a golden pot of manna. God commanded them, Moses to fill and fill it full, a pot of manna, just the same amount of manna that each child of God got of the millions that were fed going through the 
just the same as each one got every day one ephir of, of, of manna and filled the pot and they carried that pot and God kept it from stinking as he did in the days gone by and they carried that pot and that manna, my friend, spoke of the provision of God for 40 years. One omer was enough for a man daily. Let me tell you this morning, my God shall supply all your need. Those of you who are getting it tight this morning, remember this, that there's a God in heaven that fed Elijah with the ravens. I was reading about Brainerd, David Brainerd not so long ago, that missionary to the Indian, died at 29, died spitting blood out into the snow, sold his life out to reach the indigenous Indies of America. And my friend, he had nothing to eat at times, and he crawled into a big tree trunk, hungry, Way up in the middle of a snowstorm, into a big tree trunk, he crawled. You only wee fella. He crawled right up into the trunk. God sent the squirrels with the nuts to him. And he'll supply your need. He'll supply your need. Aaron's rod was the second thing that was in this tabernacle. And Aaron's rod speaks not of manna, but of a miracle. Because it tells us that Aaron's rod budded and blossomed and yet it was cut off from the stem. Now if you cut a branch of a tree you'll see the blossom and the bud on it for a wee while but it'll, it'll not live. It'll not live. But this rod was cut off and the Bible says that it blossomed. It blossomed. Do you know it speaks of resurrection life? It speaks of power. Cut off and yet living. And listen, if you're going to blossom spiritually, you'll need to be cut off from things this morning. If you're going to blossom spiritually for God and go through with God and go on with God and get the blessings of God, there's things you'll have to leave behind. You hear that now, young people? They'll have to get rid of this thing. I don't know what they are, but the Lord's Spirit's telling you now what they are. You'll need to get rid of them, or you'll never go on, or you'll never blossom, and you'll never bud for God. You'll be an old, dry, carnal Christian like thousands. They're everywhere around us. But if you want life and you want power, there's things you'll have to leave behind. Maybe it's an old dead church. No, like a medical church that preached nothing of the divinity and the humanity and the glory of Jesus or the blood of Christ. Get out of it as quick as you can. Nothing to do with it. I don't know what, so why some of God's people stay in the lake. You'll never blossom in there. You'll never flourish in there. You'll never do anything for God in there. You need to get out and under the word and under the truth. Not a bit of wonder you the way you are. What doest thou here, Elijah? God said, what are you doing in that old damp, dark cave? Old damp, filled the damp, dark places about here, let me tell you. About the country. You need life. You get into a place where there's life. And Barclay said last Sunday night, you don't put dead chickens under a live hen. Or live chickens under a dead hen. You don't do that. 
I'm glad, and I want to say this as a go on, I'm glad that this fellowship is, always have been, and as long as I'm here, always will be separated from a lot of stuff that's going on around us today. But I believe God has raised it for that purpose. I'm glad that I'm not linked up with some mainstream denomination. I'm glad that men sitting up in Belfast don't tell us what to do. Or hierarchies. We, we have men here were well enough capable of deciphering the word of God and knowing how a New Testament church should be run. I didn't take orders from Stormont or from any house or people. We take our orders from God, not some committee. We have no right to be told what, how, when we gather, how to gather, when we sing, when we don't sing. We have no right. We have no right. I'll say it no more. There's the manna and there's the miracle and there's the message. The third thing was the law. Put the book in, Moses. Put the book in at the side. Put the commandments of Moses, the stone, put them in. And it tells us that the law was given by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ who is the ark. He had the law within his heart. And I say this morning, hallelujah, free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus has died and there is remission. We're free from the law this morning. Glory to God. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're not under the law that comes to the gates either. We're under grace. This sacred symbol of the Lord, which I love and could go on about, when you think of it, is it any wonder that David, when he was crowned king in Hebron, and that's what we were reading, he's just after being crowned king in Hebron, he gathered his captains and he gathered his leaders and thousands and hundreds of his mighty men. 30,000 all together, he gathered them all together and every one of them said, where's the ark? David says, bring back the ark. How will he get the ark back? We can't start this new regime. We can't start this government. We can't start worship unless we get the ark. Unless we get Christ back. I'm not going on. Well, that's what he said. And then 30,000 of them all agreed. All agreed. David being a man after God's own heart. And as God put the tabernacle first in the tabernacle, the first thing to Moses, the first thing that this man did, we need the ark. First. Make me first. A little cake. God first. And unless we begin and start to put the head and put Christ at the head and the start of all our services, I'll tell you, you know, what's happened out there, they're way down. Christ's not in it. Ichabod, the glorious departure. We'll have to bring back the ark. We'll have to bring Christ back into his rightful place. Spurgeon said when a fish goes bad, it goes bad at the head first. And that's true. 
For I poached fish and caught fish on the banks of Loch Erin as a child with my father. And I saw them stinking at the head first. And if we go wrong in Christ, we're all the way through, wrong the way through. And we don't come back to these old New Testament truths and hold Christ up high on the shoulders as they carried the ark on the shoulder and hold Christ up. We'll not survive. Only hope for revival is to put Christ in his rightful place. Lift him up. Lift him up in your life, young man. Lift him up in your life, dear. Lift him up. Keep him high. Keep him first place in your house. First place in your home. He deserves the first place in your home. They cried, bring back the ark. This is a new day. This is a new hour. This is the new day for Israel and for Judah. We need Christ at the head. We need him nationally and we need him spiritually. That's what David's saying. And you read a whole number of other portions regarding this. And if we're going to have blessing, my friend, we'll have to have Christ at the head. He'll need to lead the vanguard. And I believe that through COVID-19, God has given the church an opportunity to have a new start. There's many other things he has done that we would have never done, would have liked to do, but we couldn't have done. We hadn't got enough to do. But God has done it. And in the last year, I tell you, he has purged and separated and identified those that are his and those who want to go on. You hear me now? We must put him in his rightful place. He says, if you bring me back and give me my rightful place, at the head, I will save, I will bless, and I will revive. You see, the ark had been absent for 40 years in the reign of Saul. And you know the way the reign of Saul went. They ended up in witchcraft. 40 years absent from the house of God and the things of God. They'd put the ark away. The Philistines had the ark. The glory was gone. And for the last 40 years, let me tell you, and I'm part of it and I plead guilty to it and I confess it to the Lord every day that I'm responsible as much as any other man for the ark of the Lord driven out from our churches and from our homes and from our families. How sad. The last 40 years in our land, my friend, it has politically, spiritually, and gradually descended into a mess. Do you tell me that if Christ had got his rightful place, that this would have happened? We have substituted other gods beside him. We've relegated, and I'm not preaching on this this morning, but we've relegated the new chart. The new chart. Instead of the old ways and the old truths. And unless we get back to it, and that's a sermon on its own, the new chart. But unless we get back to them, 
We're not going to see any blessing and we're not going to see any revival. Westminster and Stormont have re relegated him. Not only relegated him, they have ostracized him altogether. We have a hundred thousand dead with COVID. They, they murdered twice as many in 2019. They murdered 200,000 children in abortion legally. The care will go on until there's 200,000 dead with COVID. And God might show them in one year. And there's not a sound of God from Westminster. There's not a sound of God from Storm. I'm supposed to be full of Christians. I tell you, friend, we're in trouble. Christ is ostracized. The ark is gone. The power's gone. The glory's gone. Where are they this morning? And I don't do this sarcastically. I do it out of a burdened heart that's, that cries unto God day and night. Where are they this morning? Where are some of them? You know what some of them are doing this morning? They're phoning the police and sending them here. They're counting the cars in the car park. And they're scandalizing us around the country. For I can tell you things I've heard. It doesn't cost me a thought. Do what they like. They're just mad, some of them. Jealous and full of envy. They're adding the guts to keep their churches open. And it's like, I'm saying nothing, saying nothing more. Let me say this, unless we get back to holding Christ first and believing him and trusting him. Oh, you're causing death in the lifeboat. We're not causing death, we're causing life. We're seeing people saved and we're seeing people healed. The lie of the devil. And they've all fallen for it. And they'll open up again in a month's time and then they'll close again. And then they'll open up again and they'll close again. There was an old boy, he used to be the station master down in Fermanagh and Florence Court. Flanagan was his name. And he was an old dry boy. There's a queer lot of dry boys about Fermanagh. Take them five minutes answering your questions. Some of them. A lot of them wouldn't hardly know what time of the day it is. <laughs> some of them don't change the clocks in October time. There was an old boy Flanagan, he was station master and there was a derailment on the train. And he wrote a big long epistle, two full scrap pages, and he sent it up to headquarters and they sent, sent it back to him. They said, Mr. Flanagan, if anything happens again, just a wee paragraph and all that'll do. No need to go into all that. So, old Flanagan held that in his head. And there was a day, there was a derailment. So he got the pen out and the paper. Off again. On again, gone again, Flanagan. <laughs> That's the way it answers. And we're up and we're down and we're in and we're out and we don't know where we are. David wanted the ark back. He wanted the ark back. With all his heart that you see as it closed. 
They all agreed that the Lord Jesus Christ must be the head. They all agreed that they must have the precious ark where it ought to be. And let me say this when I'm going on. When God smote us the dead for touching the ark, he couldn't do anything else. First of all, they had an ark covered. They should have had it covered. Secondly, they shouldn't have carried it. It's the priest that should have carried it. They shouldn't have put it on the car. If God would not have struck us the dead, because in the Old Testament and Exodus and other scriptures, God told them the way the ark should be handled. He sat down every specification, every word, every title, that the way the ark should be. Now, if he'd have let them do that, according to his word, his whole word would have been no use. Anything he'd say after that would be no good. You wouldn't believe it. He said, this is the way you do it. And if you don't do it this way, there's judgment. He had no option other than to take that boy out. Now, I think, tell you, it's a serious thing to touch the ark. And there are people out there this morning and they're saying things, and I say to you, you just be very, very careful. Touch not the Lord's anointed. You hear that now? I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Get your eyes as we close in Psalm 132. This is the only psalm in the 150 psalms that the ark is mentioned. Now I want you to look at the first verse. Now I, people have different minds on who wrote this psalm and most scholars believe it was Solomon, the son of David, and I believe that too. And so here Solomon, the son of David, saying, Lord, Remember David and all his afflictions. Now, verses 1 down to 11 is intercessory prayer. He's praying to God, Solomon. And he said, remember David and all his affliction. The word affliction there is not physical affliction. It's mental anguish and pain. It is the same word used for Lord Jesus when he was uh, and, and Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and afflicted. Now, David was afflicted physically more than any man would ever know, and of course, so was the Lord. But that's not what that word means. It means anguish. It, mean, it means distraught. So what Solomon's saying here, what the son is saying here to God, he says, Lord, remember, and God does remember, you know. He remembers. He remembers that you're dust and he knows all things. He says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions and all his concern and all his burdens. And, and I'll show you now that's regarding the ark. How he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto, what's this phrase? The mighty God of Jacob. And you'll get it again in verse 5. The mighty God of Jacob. What an awesome statement that is. And we read it again. Verse 2. How he sware unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God. And here's what he says in verse 3. This is what his father... Listen, listen. He heard his father praying. 
Solomon heard his father praying because he's saying to the Lord here, remember his prayer. He must have heard him praying. He must have seen him distraught. He must have seen him concerned and burdened for the ark being missing. And I'll show you the ark in a minute. Tell me this, Father. Does your son and your daughter hear your prayers? Hmm? Do, do, do you ever say, Lord, young man, young woman, do you ever say, Lord, answer daddy's prayers? Huh? Do you ever get to the door and hear daddy's praying? What's he praying for? Praying for me? Praying for the land, he's praying for the church, he's praying for mama. Let the Holy Spirit take that. Lord, remember David. He calls him by his name. Remember David and all his affliction, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Here's what he said. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house or go up into my bed. Some say, say that's uh, not only his own house, but the house of God. He says, I'll not go to the house of God. I'll not go to my own house. I'll not go to bed. Or I'll not go to sleep. Verse 5. Until I find out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it in the frata. We found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest. Thou and the ark of thy strength. Boy, I tell you, he was thirsting for Christ. He was hungry for Christ. He was hungry to put the word of the Lord in its rightful place. And it caught hold of him mentally. Oh, how desperate he was. His son tells him. And if it's not his son, someone else help. Have we that desire, longing, that hunger this morning? Come on now. Do we want Christ more than anything else this morning? More than the job and more than the cars and more than the houses? And the things that we toil for from early morning to late night? It's not a bit wonder your children don't hear you pray until you haven't time. But need to change. Need to change. Look at verse 8. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. See that? Let the priests be clothed with righteousness and let the saints shout for joy. What a passage to encourage us this morning as we close in prayer. Look at verse 6. Keep your eyes on verse 6. Lo, we heard of it. That's the hearing. 
We heard about it in the fields of Ephrata. That was David's own country, Bethlehem, Ephrata. David, as a young boy, heard about the ark. He never saw it. But he heard about the ark. And you thank God, you young children and people in here in this Sunday school and come to this church and the parents that you have, and I know the parents that you have, they're telling you about Christ and all his love and all his glory and all his goodness. And you've heard it inside out. And sinner this morning, listen. Oh, listen to me this morning, sinner. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And any evangelist worth his salt will declare the gospel. He'll declare Christ. He'll declare his divinity and his humanity and his glory and his power and his grace and his love and his mercy. He'll preach the ark. He'll preach Christ. You've heard it many times and you're not yet sealed. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. Hearing and coming to the meetings and hearing your mother crying and praying. Getting the gospel tracks and the radio messages. Or more gospel in Northern Ireland would save China. And you're not saved yet. Or you've heard it. But you've never found him. And that's the next thing in the verse. Verse 6 it says, or it's we, in verse, verse 6, we will, verse 6, Lord, we have heard of it in the frata. We found it in the fields of the wood. Oh, they found it. Well, they had to search for Then men had to get out and they had to look for it. Where is it? Where is it? And they found it. And listen, if you search for him with all your heart, you'll surely find him. If you mean business like that wee girl in on Sunday night, went home with, with her sister there and going through the moy, says, I want to go back. I want to see that man. I want to get right with God. She came back and she found him in that back room there. She heard, you see. And then she found him. This is what it says here. They heard and they found. There was a seeking, a looking, searching for. There was a finding. I found him. Where did they find him? They found the ark away out in the fields and in the woods. I'll tell you this. You'll not find him in some of the churches this morning because they're barred up. I was thinking of that Psalm 84 the other day where the swallows have found a resting place in the eaves of the altar. Must have been a derelict place. The eaves of the altar where they give birth to the young. I'll tell you, listen, let me say to you out there this morning, if you don't get back into your churches again, the swallows are coming. And they'll be in before you. They didn't find it in the tabernacles or the cathedrals. They found them away in the back of the woods.
Then I found him on a farmyard standing in Fermanagh, four miles other side of Enniskillen. I found him on a Monday morning. That's where I found him. Sammy Thompson tells you, given his testimony, I found him in the wheel, in the shafts of a wheelbarrow. He was wheeling the wheelbarrow through the yard and God spoke to him. The old uncle that I led me to the Lord, he, was, he, he found him snedding in the turnip field. And you'll find him if you look for him. He's cast out. Cast out. There's a hearing there's a seeking, there's a finding. Look at verse 7. There's a worshipping. We will go into his tabernacle and we will worship at his footstool. That's the order, isn't it? Oh, that's the order. There's the searching and there's the finding. And there's the worship. The hearing, the seeking, the finding, and the worship. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're worshiping the Lord. Most of us here, if not most of us anyway, have found him. And if I were to go through this congregation this morning, you have found him in many places, in hills and valleys. You'll find him when you search. We got him way out in the fields of Ephraim when they, when they found him there. They began to worship. Look at verse 9 and verse 16. Let the priests be clothed with righteousness and let the saints shout for joy. And verse 16, I will also clothe her priests with salvation and her saints shall shout with joy. That's the praise. I know that many of you can't get along to the prayer meetings Monday, Wednesday. I understand that. And I pray much for you mothers. You may not think I do, but I do. For it's not easy for you. But if you could get along some nights to this, these prayer meetings, it'll give you a new lease of life. You'll go home praising, I guarantee you'll go home praising the Lord. Well, countless people have told me the blessing that these meetings are. And we'll be keeping them on. The blessing that they are. And when Christ is centered in the choruses and he's centered in the hymns and some of these lovely brothers and sisters pray and pray something that strikes your heart. It draws you into worship and praise and thanksgiving. That 40 or 50 people can come together from different denominations and all praise the Lord together. All gather around the dark. But we have one thing in common, and that's Christ. We would have different views and doctrines, of course we would. And one of the great problems in Northern Ireland is we have allowed that. We have allowed the Pentecostals and, the, and, 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 and so many other things and the second coming of the Lord we have so divided it up and scurled at one another. Who says you're right and who says they're not? Just leave them alone. Just do. Leave them alone. 
What is that to thee? Follow me. You just serve the Lord in the way you know him. And what you're taught from the word of God. Not from man, from the word of God. And there's worshipping in verse 7. You see the ark's back. This is God speaking. Now from verse 12 on, God speaks. If the children will keep my covenant and my testimony. Study this psalm. This is a wonderful psalm. They're worshipping, they're praising. Verse 9 and 16 also, you'll read they were shouting. I don't mind a man shouting in the prayer meeting. Well, God doesn't hear you, he doesn't let everybody want to shout. You know, you can pray, we pray, you don't have to shout. But if a man gets excited in the prayer meeting, and if you can let him shout away, well, something to shout about. We were at a day of prayer about 20 years ago. I think our brother Dave was there. We up in Castle Wallen, men concerned about the whole situation at that time called a day of prayer, and I don't know, my 20 or 30 was met. And there was one fella, and he was a prayer warrior, and he was a prayer warrior. And he got a bit excited, and he began to call unto the Lord in a high voice. And after it was over, there was a boy in the meeting, and he said, God's not deaf. Twelve o'clock and we were there for the whole day. The thing was over. We had to go home. And you asked Dave, we had to go home. Couldn't raise it. Just you let people alone when they pray. Don't touch it. There was worshipping, there was praising, there was shouting. Verse 13, 14, and 15, if you want to study it, and I'm finished now. 13, 14, and 15, I say to you, it was a revival. For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. There will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her, abundantly bless with provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe the priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout for joy, allowed for joy. There will I make the horn, that horn speaks of power. There will I make the power to David to bud. And I have ordained the lamp for mine anoint, the light of the gospel and the power of God shining through the people because David wanted the ark. Do you want Christ? Be honest now this morning as we close. Are you saved? I'm not asking you to make a profession. Can you say in your life genuinely this morning, I know that my Redeemer liveth and I haven't a doubt? Because if you have, doubtful if you are. How can you have Christ living in you? How can you have Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory? How can you have the living Christ, Almighty God, the Creator of all things, living in you and not know it? My friend, you should know it. And if you're not sure, be sure. The devil will deceive you, no. What way are you living? Do you love the word? Do you try to get to the meeting, the prayer meeting? Do you, do you, do you want to witness? And all those things. Shows that there's life. That the rod has budded. That the rod has blossomed. When you cut off from anything, you'll see that'll happen. May God help us this morning to learn and lift high 
the Lord Jesus and keep him high and keep him above all else in the prayer meetings, in the gospel meetings, in the morning meetings, wherever we may be. It's first of all Christ. Amen.